Escape Pod 34 December 29th, 2005 Today's story, Free Will, Baby, by Jenny Lee Simnair Hello, and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely, and I'm playing with a few new toys. So if the show sounds better, I'll know I shopped wisely. If the show sounds worse, then I just need to read the manuals some more. Feel free to drop me a line and tell me. So, it's the end of 2005 now. That's the kind of thing that gets me in a pensive mood. I'm not really much for New Year's resolutions. Like most people, it's hard for me to change my behavior on any day of the year, and an arbitrary date flip just doesn't really pull me forward. But it is fun to look back, and 05 had a lot to be thankful for. For me, of course, the biggest moment was the birth of my son. That was nine months ago, and he still totally fascinates me. This is a true thing. No matter how bad things look, or how screwed up the world is around you, there's something about a baby smiling at you that makes the entire universe okay. If you don't believe me, find a baby and try it. They're everywhere. My wife and I had some other great moments. I'm thankful for those. And I'm thankful that I stumbled into this whole podcasting thing at an interesting time. Escape Pod's more and more fun every week, and that's thanks to all of you. I'll have more to say on that in a Metacast coming up soon. I'm thankful for the friends I've made doing this. I'm thankful for the chance to contribute to making podcasting a force for fun in the world. And for all the people who've told me, sincerely or just to be nice, that Escape Pod helped to inspire other podcasts, I'm thankful to all of you. That's the other true thing I learned this year. Whatever you decide to do, big or small, important or just amusing, if you do it in front of people, their world gets bigger. So those were my observations for 2005. I hope your year was more fun than not fun, and I hope your 2006 turns out to be more fun yet. Our story this week is a satire based in contemporary religion. The last time we did this, we took some heat, and on consideration, I think a lot of it was justified heat. But I think this story runs quite a bit more positive, towards religion and towards the human spirit. We present Free Will Baby by Janie Lee Simner. The Simner's making a repeat appearance at Escape Pod. She was the author of our third story, Three Wish Habit. She's published more than 30 stories across all age groups and four novels for kids. Her latest one, Secret of the Three Treasures, is due out from Holiday House this spring. She lives with her husband in Tucson, Arizona, where, according to her bio, she waits to be swept away on a pirate ship, displaying boundless geographical optimism. The story is read for us today by Swoopy of the very popular podcast Skepticality. If you like your myths taken with heavy salt and a good sense of humor, Skepticality's the show for you. It's one of my longtime favorites. So don't delay. Operators are standing by. Pick up the phone and act now. It's story time. Free Will, Baby by Jenny Lee Simner Kara stumbled in her pumps as she walked toward the pawn shop. The St. Louis humidity had already set in and sweat trickled down her nylons. Her blouse and blazer clung damply to her back. Across the street, a gang of leather-clad men stood in front of a coffee shop, watching her. One of them grinned. His skin glistened in the morning sun. Forget that, baby. Come on over here. I'll make you a deal you really can't refuse. Kara's cheeks burned. She fished through her purse for her work ID. 
flashing the bright red plastic in front of her. I'm not a customer, she thought fiercely. I'm staff. Go away. The man threw his arms up, backing off. Hey, baby, that's cool. The smile never left his face, though. Around him, the others laughed. Kara turned away. She shoved the door to the pawn shop open and stepped inside, blinking in the dim light. Be with you in a minute, someone said. It's me, Belial. Squinting, Kara could just make out the demon's hunched form, crouched behind a battered table. He was short, with silver-rimmed glasses that slid down his nose. A small stream of sweat ran down one cheek into the collar of his suit. A tall, lanky band stood across the table, gesturing with both hands. I told you, man, I'm only short twenty bucks. I'll have it next week, I swear. I'm sorry, Belial said, clicking his tongue. But when you left us your soul, you were fully informed of the time constraints. I have it in writing, right here. Kara sighed. Anyone who would hawk his soul for a couple hundred bucks was a fool. She walked over to the table. Beelzebub in yet? she asked. Belial glanced up. Does anyone ever know where Beelzebub is? Right, Kara said. Well, when he does show up, tell him we need to talk. Belial raised one eyebrow. Then he shrugged. Sure, Miss Donnelly. I'll tell him. Thanks. Kara turned and walked toward the back of the shop, where a wooden door hung loose on its hinges. Behind her, she heard the tall man talking. Listen, my wife just had a kid, not even baptized yet. What if I put her up, too? Then next week I'll pay you double. Kara pushed the door open and stepped through. The room beyond was large and dusty. Kara coughed in the stale air. She walked through a haze to a cluster of wooden desks. Each desk had a telephone, and most already had women behind them, their fingers clacking against the keypads. Kara took her seat, brushing a hand across her face. It came away sticky with sweat. Her contract had promised an air-conditioned office. It hadn't lied, of course. The window unit hummed loudly in the room's only window. Every few minutes, it pumped out a burst of cold air. Kara shuffled through the papers on her desk, pulling up a clipboard with a list of names and phone numbers. With a sigh, she reached for the phone and dialed. A woman answered. Hello? She was young. A student, perhaps. Her voice sounded fuzzy. Kara had probably woken her up. Hello? Kara slipped into her phone voice, clear and sharp. This is Kara Donnelly with Lucifer Enterprises. Whom am I speaking to? The dial tone buzzed in Kara's ears. It didn't matter much what she said. Those who wanted what she was selling stayed on the line. The rest cut off the call fast. No amount of talking was going to change their minds. Kara dialed the next number. Two more dial tones and an answering machine. Then a man answered. His voice was sharp, clipped. A businessman, Kara guessed. Hello? Hello, this is Kara Donnelly with Lucifer Enterprises. Whom am I? Yeah, the man said, as if he'd been expecting her. My wife just left me. When she takes me to court next month, I want everything she's got. Well, I'm certain we can arrange that, Kara smiled. She'd heard somewhere that if you smiled, your voice sounded more pleasant over the phone. If I could just get some information, I'll have one of our representatives call back to arrange a meeting. Yeah, the man said. Kara could tell from his tone that he was smiling too. You do that. She began asking questions. Name, social security number, religious affiliation, and the man answered in short syllables. What a jerk, Kara thought, as she filled out his preliminary sole forfeiture form. Yet, most clients were like that. No, all of them. 
All of them except for Carabit, her lip. There was no sense thinking about it until she found Beelzebub. She pressed the pen fiercely against the paper. This client, the one she was talking to now, was going to sell his soul no matter what Kara did. She was just filling out the paperwork. She finished writing. Thank you for dealing with Lucifer Enterprises, she told the businessman. An agent will be in touch with you shortly. Good, the man said and hung up. Kara scanned his form, making sure she'd gotten everything down. His wife, she thought. He wants to rob his wife, and he's willing to sell his soul for it. She sighed. Just last week, she'd spoken to a man who wanted a perfect golf game. A hole in one, every hole. Two days before, a woman who wanted to make her first million by 25, just to prove to her parents she wasn't a failure. Kara wondered if they understood what they were giving away. Even her own father, she gripped her pen tightly. Even when Dad had sold his soul less than a year ago, he hadn't really understood. Still didn't, as far as she could tell. He hadn't done it for money or fame or anything like that. Kara could almost have forgiven him if he had. He'd done it because he was drunk. He'd been playing cards in some bar downtown and wasn't even sober enough to realize after a streak of winning games that Lucifer's demons were setting him up. Kara fought the rage that came with the thought. Every time she imagined him burning, the flames going higher and higher, the smell of hot sulfur. Damn it all. No, don't. That was the point. Kara scowled, pounding her fist against the desk. Pain lashed through her wrist. Really, Miss Donnelly, there's no need to get worked up. Kara drew a deep breath. It was Beelzebub, of course, staring over her shoulder. His breath smelled of ash. It felt hot against her neck. Belial, at least, had the decency not to get too close. We need to talk, Kara said. She turned to face the demon. He wore a black suit, black shirt, and hot pink tie. His greasy hair was slicked back across his head, and his voice was slick, too. Slick and oily. Of course, Beelzebub said, but business before pleasure, as always. He smiled, the edges of his mouth stretching up into his cheeks. Kara looked away. She reached for the businessman's sole forfeiture form and handed it to Beelzebub, still avoiding his gaze. He looked the form over, muttering as he did, Not bad, Miss Donnelly, not bad at all. You've brought in quite a bit of business this month. Kara bit her tongue. I didn't bring in any business, she thought. They all would have bought anyway. Just like Dad? Yeah, just like Dad. There was nothing she could have done to stop him either. She would have if she could, Lord knew. Not that God seemed to want much to do with people. Kara had always wondered about that. I'll have to think about giving you a raise sometime, Beelzebub said, but not as if he meant it. He brushed a long hot finger along Kara's cheek. It burned where it passed, though she knew there'd be no mark. But keep up the good work, the demon said. Don't think I haven't noticed your efforts. He grinned, showing four rows of straight white teeth, two in front and two in back. Bastard, Kara thought. She touched her cheek. It was cool, as if Beelzebub had never touched it. She brushed her damp hair from her forehead. She wanted to take her blazer off, but not now, not with Beelzebub staring at her. Sweat crept down her back and her feet swelled uncomfortably in her shoes. She let out a breath, glancing above her desk. A stiff piece of paper leaned against a dusty shelf. Ten years, the contract said. If she gave Lucifer and Beelzebub ten years of service, 
Dad would go free. If she failed, then Lucifer would get them both. She hadn't bothered telling Dad about the contract. What good would it do? She thought he'd stopped drinking after that card game and had entered some sort of outpatient rehab. Kara had been afraid that if he knew what she'd done, he'd start all over again. She clenched her fists, anger rising again. He hadn't really stopped, of course, just hidden it better. Last night, she'd gotten a call from Regional Hospital. There'd been a crash. It had happened, the policeman had said, because Dad had been driving the wrong way down a one-way street. The car was totaled, but Dad was okay. Kara had taken a cab down to get him. It had cost her half a week's pay. They hadn't spoken during the ride, hadn't spoken when they'd gotten home. There was nothing to say. They both knew he'd go out drinking again, sooner or later. There was nothing Kara could do. And through the silence, she'd realized something. The next time the phone rang, and there probably would be a next time, after all. Dad might not get so lucky. The next time Regional called, there might not be anyone for her to pick up. If that phone call came in less than ten years, her bargain with Lucifer would be useless. Somehow, somehow she had to make another one. You were wanting to talk, Beelzebub said. Kara had almost forgotten he was there. She looked up at the demon. Yes, she said. Yes, I was. Beelzebub smiled. My office is always open to employees. He put one arm around Kara's shoulder and with the other gestured across the room. After you, Ms. Donnelly. Kara fought the urge to flinch from his touch. She'd hoped they could talk here in the open. She stood, maneuvering out from under Beelzebub's arm. Her shoulders felt hot where he'd touched her. She started across the room, footsteps echoing as she walked. Beelzebub's office was small and clean, no stains on the bright white carpet. Kara had only been there once before, the day she'd signed her contract. An air conditioner was installed in the room's only window, but it wasn't running. The air felt hot and dry. There were no chairs, just a bright green couch against one wall, piled with cushions, and a black formica table with neat stacks of paper against the other. Beelzebub closed the door behind them. He sat in the middle of the couch, motioning for Kara to sit beside him. Kara sat, facing him, her back against the armrest. Now then, Beelzebub said, what can I do for you? Kara avoided his gaze. It's my dad, she said. Hmm? Beelzebub raised one greasy eyebrow. I'm worried he won't last ten years. Well, no one knows how long they're going to live, Miss Donnelly. Beelzebub's voice was condescending, but an odd, almost smug look crossed his face. For the first time, Kara realized that not only might the demon know how long Dad had to live, but maybe, just maybe, he'd known all along. And I'm afraid, he continued, not sounding very sorry at all, that the matter is entirely out of your hands. You've already signed your contract. If your father dies before your term of employment is up, there is nothing I can do. Not even if, Kara hesitated, then continued more quickly, not even if I give you my own soul now? That and still work the ten years? Beelzebub laughed, the sound grated like sandpaper against Kara's ears. That's very noble of you, Ms. Donnelly. He leaned over toward her, the smell of ash strong. Kara wanted this meeting over with, but she couldn't back down. Not now. Well, she asked. Her voice shook. It's an interesting notion, to be sure, Beelzebub grinned, laying one hand on her knees. The touch burned, spreading fire up her legs. Kara shuddered. She wondered if hell would be like this, some demon's hot touch burning for all time. She struggled for words. You, you will let me do it, won't you? 
Why, of course, Miss Donnelly. You can do anything you want. He brushed a burning finger across her face. For a price. He leaned closer, pushing her against the armrest. Panic spread through Carol like wildfire. She tried to wrench out from under him, but he was too strong. Of course he was. He was a demon, for Christ's sakes. His hands, fumbling at her blouse, were white fire. Kara screamed. She was burning, pain coursing through her body. The smell of ash and sulfur everywhere. Mr. Beelzebub, the voice boomed through the room. Boss! Beelzebub released her. Pain shot through Kara's chest, and she slid from the couch to the floor. She pulled herself upright on the carpet, burying her head in her knees. The smell of sulfur was gone, but she was still burning, heat racing through her body. There was a roaring in her ears, and she couldn't see clearly. Someone was talking to Beelzebub, someone who only came up to the demon's shoulder. Kara's eyes hurt. She couldn't focus on who it was. It wasn't hard to guess, though. Beelzebub's boss. That would be Lucifer. Kara had somehow pictured him taller. What an unexpected surprise, Beelzebub stammered. I'm honored by this visit. I'm... Leave us, Lucifer said. His voice was hard like steel. It cut through the roaring. Kara could hear him perfectly. I'll see to this transaction myself. Yes, yes, of course. Kara heard a shuffling of feet, saw Beelzebub slide through the door and pull it shut behind him. Shit, Kara thought. Forget Beelzebub. What would happen now? Alone in a room with his boss? Kara shivered, though she still felt hot and dizzy. I apologize for Mr. Beelzebub's behavior, Lucifer said. I can assure you this will not happen again. He reached for Kara's hand. His touch was warm but bearable, nothing like the fire of Beelzebub's fingers. He helped her onto the couch, then backed away again. Kara stared at the demon, and slowly he came into focus. He wore a white suit and shirt, a black silk tie. His hair was silver. It fell in thick waves down his back. His eyes were silver, too. A cushioned black chair appeared behind Lucifer, though Kara hadn't seen it happen. He sat, his eyes still on her. In the window, the air conditioner began to hum, and cool air spread through the room. The roaring in Kara's ears subsided, fading beneath the new sound. Her sight was almost normal now. Slowly, aware of Lucifer watching her all the while, she looked herself over. Her legs weren't damaged, pantyhose still neatly in place. The nylon, when she touched it, was cool, just like always. She let out a breath, then looked at her chest. She quickly shut her eyes. Her blouse was torn and blackened, singed with fire. The skin beneath it was red and blistered. She touched the skin with one finger. It felt like burnt parchment. She started shaking and couldn't stop. He burned me for real, she thought numbly. He burned me for real. She drew her blazer around herself. Somehow... The jacket was unburned. Now then, Lucifer said, you were wanting to alter your contract. His voice was smooth, businesslike, as if nothing were out of the ordinary. I overheard your conversation with Mr. Beelzebub. I know what you ask, and I'm willing to arrange it. You are? Kara blinked and looked up. She sighed, a bone-weary sound. Breathing sent pain through her chest, and the sigh turned into a sputtering cough. She buried her face in her hands. Dad was going to be all right. This hadn't all been for nothing. The thought should have been comforting, but it wasn't. Lucifer continued in his level voice. I cannot in good faith, however, let you make such a trade without adding a little something for yourself. K 
Kara squinted, not sure what he meant. You only have one soul, Ms. Donnelly. You may as well get all you can for it. Why stop with your father's debts? Add a few million for yourself, and when your ten years here are up, you'll never have to work again. Lucifer smiled. Not one of Beelzebub's awful grins, but the smile of a parent talking down to a child. Ms. Donnelly, a soul is a terrible thing to waste. Kara hadn't thought of it like that. To never work again? To never have to deal with Beelzebub or with some human boss like him? After all she'd been through for Dad, didn't she deserve something for herself? Kara touched her blouse. The skin beneath was still warm. She stared at Lucifer, stared long and hard at his bright silver eyes. They held an intent, hungry look at odds with his smooth voice. She couldn't do it. She wasn't sure why. Her head hurt, and she couldn't think straight. It just didn't feel right, that was all. Besides, she was already damned. What did it matter how she lived a few years? No, Kara said. No, I don't want anything else. Think about your father, Lucifer said. His voice remained calm, his eyes intent. He clasped his hands together in front of him. You could see to it that he lives in style for... An odd, unreadable look crossed Lucifer's face. For as long as he has left. No, Kara repeated. Something flashed behind Lucifer's eyes. Like anger, only more controlled. His voice, when he spoke again, was hard and low. Are you sure you will not reconsider? Kara nodded. She was afraid if she spoke, she'd change her mind. Lucifer stood. His movements were tight, measured. He stepped toward her. Kara edged backwards into the cushions. Not again, she thought, breathing hard. The air hurt her lungs. Please, please, not again. In that case, Lucifer said, you need not work for us any longer. In fact, your employment with us is terminated. You are to leave the premises at once. Good day, and thank you for dealing with Lucifer Enterprises. Kara blinked. That's all? She put her hand to her mouth. She hadn't meant to speak aloud, but Lucifer just nodded once and was gone. He didn't disappear. He simply wasn't there anymore. Kara stared at the spot where he had been for a long, long time. Lucifer had just given up. That didn't make sense. Beelzebub wouldn't have given up that fast on anything. But it didn't make sense that Lucifer wanted her to charge more for her soul, either. Wasn't he better off the other way around? Thinking hurt and Kara hurt too much already. Lucifer had said her employment was terminated. That meant she could go home. Kara stood, clutching the edge of the couch for support. She started to walk, concentrating on lifting one foot, then the other, then the first again. Her whole body ached a dull, throbbing pain, but she kept going. A doctor, she thought fuzzily. I need to call a doctor. But not here, not with Beelzebub watching over her shoulder. She'd go across the street. Out in the main room, the stuffy air hit Kara at once. She coughed. Dust filled her lungs, and breathing sent a painful prickling through her chest. She stumbled toward her desk. She wanted to get her things to get out of the dusty room. Her desk was scrubbed clean. Her purse, her pile of papers, her contract, everything was gone. Only the clipboard remained. Kara took it in one hand, staring at the list of phone numbers. You don't work here anymore. Beelzebub said. Kara jumped. She tensed at the sight of the demon. He stood beside a young woman in high heels and a short skirt. 
a new employee. Beelzebub had one arm around her shoulder. The woman squirmed uncomfortably, and Beelzebub smiled. Your final paycheck will be mailed to you, he said. Please leave at once. Kara just nodded. The floor beneath her feet felt unsteady. Still clutching the clipboard, she stumbled toward the door. Belly all sat in the front room, sorting through a pile of papers. He didn't even look up when she passed. Kara started down the street, toward the coffee shop, meaning to use the phone, but the men in leather jackets still stood there, talking in loud voices. One of them looked up as she passed. Hey, baby, what in hell happened to you? He laughed, and the others looked up as well. They all began talking at once, talking and laughing. Kara fumbled for her work ID, realized she didn't have her purse anymore. I'm staff, she tried to croak, even though she wasn't. But her throat was dry and hoarse, filled with dust. She started toward the bus stop, then realized she didn't have change for the fare. She looked wildly about. Her legs were shaking. She needed to sit down. There was a McDonald's down the other way, but she couldn't walk that far. The world began to spin, street and sky swaying before her eyes. The clipboard slid from her fingers. The sound of laughter turned into a roaring in her ears. The ground slid out from under her, and she fell to the pavement. There was a moment of pain and burning, and then the darkness overtook her. She woke from dreams of fire, of falling. Pale blue sky loomed above her. Damp air hung close to her face. Someone knelt by her side, his fingers on her wrist. It was one of the men from the coffee shop, the one who had first called to her. His leather jacket shone in the sun. His hair was cropped close to his neck. His eyes were dark and bright. Care tried to pull away, but he was too strong. Hey, baby, take it easy. I'm trying to help. He laughed, an odd bitter sound. I'm one of the good guys, okay? You sure don't act it, Kara wanted to say, but her chest hurt and the words couldn't come out. She tried again to stand, but the man lay a hand firmly on her shoulder, stopping the motion. His touch was strangely cool. What I'm about to do isn't gonna tickle, he said. You'll make it easy for both of us if you lay still. What else could Kara do? His hand was still braced on her shoulder. He seemed as strong as Beelzebub, though Kara knew it couldn't be right. She was weak, that was all too weak to stop him. Still holding her with one hand, he reached with the other for her chest. Kara closed her eyes. She couldn't even bring herself to panic. She just wanted it all to be over. The touch burned. Or rather, she thought it burned. After a moment, she realized the man's fingers were cold. So cold, they felt like burning. Kara fought not to scream. The cold spread through her chest, into her throat, down her arms and legs. Then it stopped. So suddenly, Kara shuddered. The stranger was no longer touching her, though she hadn't felt him stop. Slowly, she opened her eyes. He was looking down at her, his expression unreadable. Stand up, he said. Movement was surprisingly easy. Breathing was easy, too. Air moving freely in and out of her lungs. Her chest no longer hurt. Nothing hurt. Nothing at all. Her blouse wasn't even torn. Kara looked at the stranger, afraid to speak. She didn't know whether to thank him or run away. He held out a hand. The name's Raphael, he said. Pronounced the same as the angel. And no, that isn't a coincidence. You're, Kara stammered, but not sure what to say. You don't look like an angel, she blurted. What do you expect, white dresses and harp music? This is your world, baby. We play by your rules. Your buddies across the street, they don't have little red horns sticking out of their heads, now do they? They're not my buddies, Kara said. You worked for them. Help them do business, so to speak. I had no choice. A bitter smile played about Raphael's face. Of course not, he said. 
but not as if he believed it. Anger began to burn within her, but she couldn't sustain it. The memory of Raphael's cold touch was too strong. What else was I supposed to do? Let Dad burn? So you helped some strangers burn instead. They were going to sell anyway, Kara thought. I was just filling out the paperwork. She didn't know whether she believed it or not. She scowled. I'm damned anyway, so lay off, okay? Raphael laughed. Angels won't touch the damned. So maybe you're not an angel, Kara thought, but didn't say it aloud. He had healed her, after all, and then there was his strength. If he wasn't an angel and wasn't a demon, Kara didn't want to know what he was. Listen, Raphael said. For the first time, his voice held no irony. You offered to give your soul for your dad, right? Yeah, Kara said. She stared at the pavement. I had no choice about that either. You sure like saying that, don't you? Raphael shook his head. Well, in this case, why you did it doesn't matter. When one person offers up her soul for another, that means you're both off the hook. Self-sacrifice and all that. Don't ask me to explain. I don't make the rules. And the big guy isn't keen on justification. Kara stared at him. You mean we're both free? Just like that? Raphael nodded. Why do you think Lucifer was so eager to make you add to the deal? If you thought about yourself, even a little, his claim would have been valid again. Raphael paused. Though if your dad decides to go out drinking again and gambling, well, there really is nothing any of us can do about that. Free will's a bitch sometimes. Kara just nodded. What was there to say? She was free. Dad was free. No fire, no sulfur, no ash. But something else bothered her. It took a moment to realize what. I went through all that for nothing, she whispered. With Beelzebub in his office. He had no right. I was free the moment I made my offer. Raphael just nodded. Kara did get angry then. Someone should have told me. I should have known. Yes, Raphael said, but there's nothing you can do, right? He was right, of course. Kara stared at the pavement. The clipboard was still lying there. The top page was crumpled, smudged with dirt, but the names and numbers were still legible. Kara sighed. She drew her gaze back to the angel and looked abruptly down again. She had names. She had phone numbers. Something like hope rose within her. She hadn't felt it for a long time. Maybe there is something I can do, she said slowly. Raphael muttered something about free will again. Kara couldn't tell what. A grin tugged at the corner of his mouth. Why don't you tell me about it, he said. Maybe I can help you out. Kara hurried down the street, tennis shoes squeaking against the pavement. The summer sky was gray and the air smelled heavy with rain. Her jeans stuck damply to her legs, but her cotton blouse, at least, was light and cool. She paused in front of the pawn shop, staring at the door. She didn't work there anymore. She didn't have to go in. It seemed too good to be true. She kept walking, clipboard swinging in one hand. Across the street, a group of leather-clad men stood in front of the coffee shop, watching her. None of them spoke, though one smiled briefly and turned away. Kara glanced at the clipboard, reading the addresses she'd scrawled beside the phone numbers. Then she turned the corner, entering a residential neighborhood. The houses were old, paint faded and peeling. Kara squinted at the numbers as she walked. When she reached the corner house, she crossed the overgrown lawn and knocked on the door. A woman answered. Her hair was still in rollers, 
her robe belted tightly around her. I'm sorry I woke you, Kara said. She smiled. Her voice sounded pleasant already. My name is Kara Donnelly with the Consumer Protection Branch of Holy Host Incorporated. If you've made a deal with the devil, there are some things you need to know about your rights. And that was our story. You know, if the people who came to my door were that straightforward, I'd probably give them more of my attention. Here's a quick bit of news for you. If any of you are in or around the Southeast, and of a podcasty sort of mindset, I'm going to be at PodcasterCon in Chapel Hill, North Carolina on January 7th. It's a free convention organized on the, quote, unconference model, and it looks to be a lot of fun. I'll be helping Rob Walsh give his presentation on starting out with podcasting, and I'm planning to run my own little panel in the afternoon about getting better sound with cheaper tools. If any of you can make it, be sure to track me down and say hi to me. I'll be wearing my green fedora at least part of the time, a.k.a. the hat. I also wanted to give a quick update on the CD giveaway. We had a pretty terrific response to that. In fact, it was such a response that we ended up getting most of them packed and shipped about a week before Christmas. It's my hope that the ones that were intended as gifts got there in time. If not, or if anyone who donated and sent me their address prior to about December 20th hasn't received one yet, please let me know and we'll do whatever we can to fix things. And if you still want one, remember that the offer is good through the end of January. The details are on our website, so I won't rehash them all now. Hey, here's a book review. Hello, this is Duncan. I'm also known as Nerdvana on the internet, or Rafus. I just recently read The Island of the Skull uh, by Matthew Costello. This is a King Kong movie tie-in, and if you don't want any spoilers for either this movie or the 1933 one, you might want to stop listening to this or fast-forward. He will probably tell you how far. I will? Okay. Uh, How about a minute? All right, well, so what's going on here is this is a prequel novel for the Peter Jackson movie, and he's supposed to be following the original 1933 script pretty closely. Problems I had with that original movie was that you had very little character development, and if you're going to follow the movie closely, you're going to end up with the same thing, and today's audiences, myself included, like character development. So this book seems to be the answer to that. It also answers the biggest mystery around the 1933 version of the movie. Where the heck did that map of the Skull Island come from? So. As well as being an incredible movie tie-in because of those features, the book's a pleasure to read. I recommend it to anyone who enjoys the classic film or those who plan to see the new movie. And just to let you know, I'm in no way associated with Peter Jackson or Universal Pictures. I just love the book. I wanted to let everybody know about it. And Steve, thanks for giving us this forum to do that. Forward on podcasting. Cool. Thanks, Duncan. For what it's worth, I did yank myself out of my sickbed long enough to see King Kong over the holiday weekend. Both the ape and the movie are very, very large. If you're feeling large at heart, you should know that Escape Pod depends on listener contributions to keep buying great stories to podcast. You're welcome, if you wish, to open your large wallet and click on the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. If your wallet's not so large, then we hope you'll tell a friend if you like this week's story. We release this week, as we do every week, on a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no-derivatives license. Free will, free speech, free stories, baby. All our rights are reserved by our authors. Dig it. Our music comes to us by permission of Dai Kaiju, 
rocking the house in Alabama, Tennessee, and of course, Skull Island. They own that joint. That was our show for this week. We'll see you in 2006, if I can remember to switch the copyright notices over. If I forget, we'll just call it nostalgia. Happy New Year's to everyone, and have fun. <laughs>